Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to another Bike Radar podcast, more specifically, a Bike Radar Road Tech Talk podcast, where we're going to talk about road bike tech as the title suggests. I'm Rob Spedding. I am content director here at uh, Bike Radar. As I always say, it's a very glamorous title for a very glamorous job for a very glamorous man. I'm joined by two other glamorous men. Tom Marvin, a uh, tech editor for Bike Radar. Hello. And our senior road tech editor, Warren Rossiter, who says... Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Warren works across Bike Radar and also Cycling Plus. Tom is better known to our mountain bike fans, but he also loves road bikes, so he is more than qualified to talk about today's subject, which actually comes from Warren. So maybe, Warren, you could actually uh, give it a snappy title, but also describe what we're going to be talking about today. Well, it's just because I've been out testing a huge amount of bikes for Bike of the Year, um, which is both... Bikes from two grand to four grand, right up to super super bikes costing up to eleven grand, and it's just kind of had this kind of realization that maybe, just maybe, we're we're sort of approaching peak bike. That <gasps> Shock horror! How much further can the road bike go to where we are right now? You are saying, are you positing, and I think that's the word, that road bikes are as good as they're ever going to be? There will be people crying, Warren. Well. It's kind of, I you almost get the sense that for a few years now, it's it's gilding the lily. We've got these great bikes, mm. and we're just slightly mixing, slightly messing with things here. You know, for, I think for 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 road bikes to make a great leap um, in performance, you know, in value, even um, you need a great leap in the way they're made you know it's like the leap from old round single wall steel tubes to when people start butting tubes mm -hmm. and you know being able to draw weight out of it and then there was the advent of aluminium where you could make as stiff or if not stiffer structures at a much lower much lower weight and actually probably more affordable with it and then we had the whole carbon fiber revolution and carbon fiber has gone from those early bikes where you know you get the bike shop myth of like oh that bike could be good for two seasons and that 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 plastic's going to go all soft and you have to throw it away it never really came to fruition but but carbon fiber now is so different to carbon fiber then you know and everything has kind of made these big jumps and then you had jumps like things like Shimano and Campag coming out with Ergo Power and STI mm. so you didn't have to have down tube levers which got rid of some fittings on the bike Again, it's a way to just pare some weight down. Um, and then you've got, you know, all these other things like the advent of aerodynamics and, and people's investigations into that. And then, you know, wireless systems has been able to, again, reduce the amount of fixtures and fitters on bikes, make them lighter, make the structure stronger. And it, and it takes these kind of, these these leaps in either bits you fit to a bike or the technology actually yeah. makes, makes the chassis to get these big jumps. And... Yeah. Are you talking more about frames? Because Tom, you know, we've Warren's gone through uh, steel, carbon, aluminium mm. in not that order. But I, I always do this when you're talking about um, when we're talking about road bikes, and you're here. I say, but as a mountain biker, uh -huh. because obviously mountain bikers, and I always say this, disc brakes and and things and suspension. 
they're all things that have been added to road bikes only in the last few years, really. Yeah. So, uh, so we, road bikes are caught up with mountain bikes. Uh, road bikes have been ahead of mountain bikes with, say, electronic shifting. Mm-hmm. But is it because those things are always get they, they, those things will keep developing, they will keep changing, they will get lighter, they will get more electronic. They'll the, the electronic group sets will trickle down to cheaper bikes, I'm sure. But is it frame technology think, that's not going to go any further? I mean, it's sort of hard to sort of look into a crystal ball and, and say... I am asking. We've got one here for, for the benefit <laughs> of the listeners. We do have a crystal ball. I mean, I, I think it's... And tarot cards. There's a, there's a couple of sort of tricky things that are going to get in the way of of road frames getting, in inverted commas, better or more modern. And that's, that's really what I'm talking about, is the actual... What you're hanging the bits from, not... Yeah. Not the the, the yeah. stuff that's bolted so to. So what's them. going to get in the way? Though, well, so? I mean, the, the big thing that's going to get in the way is the UCI, because if you if you that's a big it, thing, that is a massive thing, and you know they're they're well known for holding back the development of of many things. You know, we've discussed in other podcasts like how, you know, wh- where would an aero road bike be if they hadn't said no to Obri's, you know, stretched out positions or, or whatever it is. Mm. You know, they within the confines of ultimately road bikes at the moment are designed around what can and cannot be raced. At a yeah. pro level, if that's the right way to do it or not, that, that's a different conversation. But they are, you know, can this frame be used in the Tour de France? If it can't, because the UCI say it can't, because of their rules on dimensions of tubes and, and aero profiling and, and shrouding and all that sort of stuff, unless there is a step, you know, a completely new material, graphene maybe or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, where can we go? You can already get frames that weigh half of bugger all really you know like does anyone really want to be riding around on a 500 well, it's, yeah it's even interesting when it comes down to to, to weight yeah you know weight is like it's probably the most tangible thing you can think of mm, it's say measurable from, say it's measurable from a from a bike from say the mm. 70s to a bike of today you know bikes within my lifetime have more than halved in weight mm. as a complete system but the incremental changes over say the last getting off 20 years mm. Haven't been that big, mm. you know. I was the rate of changes is, is slowing dramatically. Yeah. I was, I was, I was fiddling about in my bike workshop at home, setting up one of these five-figure super bikes. Right, and it, I had it on the scales, and it was like seven and a half kilos. This bike, you go, well, that's pretty decent. Mm. But then I was looking, like hanging on the wall next to it, my old aluminium stock scenario from two thousand and three, I think. Now, it's a really nicely equipped bike. You know, mm. it's all tune parts and lightweight DT wheels and Campo Super Record 10 speed. 10 speed. 10 speed. With Granddad. A, Does that yeah. still work? That's oh, brilliant. Oh, you can get up hills. It's beautiful. And, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty. You can get over, it out of the garage. It's pretty overgeared because it's uh, a 5442 on the right. front and then 11. 25 on the back so it's pretty pretty it's tall a climber's bike but, yeah i used to ride it all the time and never used to think about it so that sort of until you su- suggest, you, suggest yeah. my downhill path um <laughs> but that bike um weighs under six kilos yeah and the frame set because i remember when i when i you know got the frame set um it was 940 mm. grams and 58 and it's mm. aluminium yeah now 900 950 grams ish is still really light for, yeah. a, for a bike. If you think about, you know, so when Scott came out with the the CR1, which pre, predated the Addicts, mm. you know, their original carbon fiber race bike, and, you know, Davy Miller rode one, that was 900 grams. Yeah. You know, that's a long time ago now. Funny enough, I was going to bring up the Addict because that was when I started on uh, yeah. Cycling Plus in the 50s, whenever it was, that the Addict was 
new and that was super light. And I was going to say, it doesn't feel to me from a, a weight point of view. We've actually moved, in fact, in many ways, we've actually got gone for a bit of a phase of getting heavier. With aerodynamics. With aerodynamics, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, and if you look, aerodynamics has, has come on leaps and bounds recently within the restrictions of the UTI. Mm. If you look at some of the earlier first aero road bikes, I mean, obviously, you know, I'd probably say the pioneers of that were Cervelo yeah. with the Soloist that then turned into the S-series bikes. And they were aluminium, super aero, super fast, super aggressive. That would still pretty much hold up against aero bikes today yeah, in a wind tunnel. Yeah. Okay, for simple things like it had a one-inch head tube. So, mm-hmm. you know, it had a really small frontal area. And Is it because fundamentally you can't really do anything with road bikes or with, almost with boat bikes? But I think that's they... the thing. It's, it's like, the, <clears throat> I mean, we've seen some great innovation from lots of brands out there. If you think about Trek with the first aero Madone, yeah, when they brought in um, KVF tube shapes, mm-hmm. which is camtail virtual foil. So the camtail is like an airfoil where you chop the tail it's off. It's like a D or something. Yeah, almost like a D shape. Mm. And you'll see that on pretty much every bike out yep. there right now. Um, and that's just a way of sort of cheating the air into believing it's a full airfoil. Mm. Now, it could have been a full airfoil if the UCI, UCI, had, had, uh, UCI hadn't had this ruling. And you only have to look when the UCI relaxed rules ever so slightly, like they have on the track now, cool, and you look that. at the radical bikes that are out there, mm-hmm. like the Hope bike <laughs> that you went up and saw, mm-hmm. Tom. HBT, yeah, it's yeah. crazy looking thing. You know, the, the yeah. fork comes out in front of your legs, the stays, you know, are behind your legs instead of having to be super narrow, you know, to direct airflow properly. Do you need someone, is it, so we're on the road bike side, do we need a manufacturer who just goes, I don't really care if this bike could be raced at the Tour de France. I'm just going to make something. But that's that in, a, in a way, I mean, I'm sort of looking back to the giant TCR. So the, the, that to me feels like the last time frame design, well, I'm bound to get shot down here, but the giant TCR, last time frame design mm. changed on a road bike particularly radically. And it wasn't that radical. It's just a bit more compact. But yeah. So do we need someone like Hope to say, we're just going to, Build a road version of the HP one. It doesn't matter. If I mean, it'd be great if it. someone did, and maybe you know a smaller, more niche manufacturer might go and do that. But I think the commercial risks for doing that for a bigger manufacturer probably makes mm. it not worthwhile because people still want to buy a race bike that you know can be raced. I mean, it's it's, it's sort even of even though none of us ever even race. though none of us are going to race UCI. Yeah. Oh, I reckon I can still do a job at the tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's almost like um, it, it's like a cultural thing. It's those mm. long historyed nations in road cycling, racing is still so, so important. Mm. You know, it's like, forget all the illegalities and drama that happened around Trek Mm. with, you know, the obvious associations they had. But that was the most successful bike brand on the planet in road cycling. Mm. And it came from nowhere. It had no history in road cycling whatsoever. It's called Trek, for Christ's sake. You know, it's like a mountain bike brand. Right. But all of a sudden, throughout the whole of mainland Europe, it became the number one bike because it was the most successfully raced bike. Because there was that one guy riding it, yeah. right? But was, uh, so was it about the bike? Did you see what I did there? It was certainly about, the, yeah, it was certainly about some, <laughs> Google it. it was certainly about some brilliant marketing, <laughs> mm. you know, but, so it is still ingrained in, in nations with a much more storied history in road cycling than, than, is the, than the, the UK. The racing is important, You know, like, almost right? like the new world cycling, which I would say is the UK, Australia, you know, North America, Canada, you know, those kind of the English-speaking nations, really. Do pe- so do people buy a bike because they've seen 
Mark Cavendish riding it or Bradley Wiggins back in you know back in the day sounds like well, millions of years it, ago. If they Is didn't, that... then why would you sponsor a pro team? Yeah. There's got to be something in and it. And I think if you if you took away sort of those UCI rules or uh, or say a company went and bought out you know something actually genuinely revolutionary, mm. which. Well, realistically, is would be something either crazy lightweight or crazy aero. You know, look at like a, a Diamondback TT bike looks bonkers, mm, yeah. but it looks bonkers, and because it, it looks so different to but, anything but, else out yeah, there, who's going to buy yeah, it? Who can't be racing the Pro Tour? Yeah, but is successful so in triathlon. There are those bikes, uh, out and there. the same with the Cervelo, the P5X. But if you think you know, most people buy a road bike for sporties, maybe commuting, just going out with their mates, why not? Ian, why not bring out a bike that looks crazy? Say, no, uh, I don't know, uh, like Homer Simpson designing a car. Mm. I'm going to design a bike. I'm going to take out the top tube. I'm just going to have a, you know, like I'm going to design a road bike that looks like Graham O'Brien's Old Faithful. There are bikes out there that that do look different, you know, and okay. Do you mean hybrids, right? But yeah, okay, let, let, let's take, you know, we, we discussed it in an early podcast, the slingshot, for example. You know, in theory, maybe or maybe not, I'm not saying it is or not, mm-hmm. could be a great bike, okay? You don't see them everywhere, though. Yeah. But, and I reckon partly because they look so weird. Yeah. And, and I don't think people, you know, road cycling is... Are we conservative? Is that what you're saying? I think we're conservative and we're image conscious. Mm-hmm. And as I said, anything that comes out that's going to be drastically different to what's out there already, and it has some big yeah. performance gains... People aren't going to buy it if it looks weird, right? Well, I mean, you do, I mean, you, you you do get that in, and we're probably all guilty of it in some way that you will criticize a bike because it looks odd. Mm. Yeah, you know, well, it just doesn't and, look and, right. And, it, yeah, it, and then if you and then if you, you talk to like your real traditional, you know, multi generation kind of road cyclist and everything, and you ride up and you're you even now, even now when it completely dominates sales, the market, and everything, you ride up on a disc bike. And somebody will say, oh, I don't like those discs. Mm, yeah. They don't look right. Yeah. I mean, I even had somebody sort of, I was talking to at a coffee shop who said, well, that looks quite good with the discs on it. It was like an aero road bike, so it had been nicely shaped and everything. He said, but, oh, those disc roads, they're just too big, aren't they? Can't you have smaller ones? I was like, well, it wouldn't work. <laughs> That's just <laughs> you know, physics. Can't, can't you just have little roads? I said, like, well, no, because it wouldn't work. Yeah. I've got to admit, I was, I'm one of the, when, when, road bikes started um, we, we started getting disc brakes on road bikes I would look at a disc brake road bike next to a rim brake road bike and I would think you know what the rim brake bike looks better now I don't even notice it mm. and and it's a bit I, when I had a, I had a Viner Perfector and that was a very standard shape it wasn't a compact and I quite liked that when I got it but soon I started I would look at that and go oh you know that looks really old fashioned and I would feel I would feel sort of slightly yeah. self-conscious riding it and next I mean, all these yeah, sexy yeah, you compact you know, you saw it when Cannondale brought out the new Super 6 Evo fabulous bike really really good dynamically weight everything it feels just like the old one but there was still a bit of a backlash about people going I can't believe you stopped making the old one, which had a horizontal top tube. Mm. The tubes were effectively round. They weren't quite round. They had some thing going on there, but it was super slender and it looked featherweight. Mm. And and then people were looking at the new one and going, oh, it just looks like everything else. And you saw the argument is like, well, it looks like everything else because the rules are so restrictive. Aerodynamics is going to become a really big factor, not just in aero road bikes, in road bikes generally. And 
everybody that spends their time with CFD, computational fluid dynamics, uh, and spends their time in the wind tunnel, they're all arriving at pretty mm. much the same conclusion. conclusion. So the road bike because you're as working it is. In, you're working in with these restrictions. And is that probably why then you know within the UCI rules we're at peak bike because there's That's nowhere thinking, else yeah, to go. Yeah. Yeah. If if we took away those UCI restrictions, where where would you think we would end up? Well, I, it would be amazing to think what would bikes look like now if the restrictions weren't around. Say when Lotus worked on the mm. Chris Bourbon Sour record bike. And they did have a road going version of that. And Giant had a, a, a the MCM yeah. at the same time, which mm-hmm. was kind of a road development of, of it. Because it. Yeah. it was a, you know, it was, mm. you know, co co made with Mike Burroughs. Yeah. Mike Burroughs being the designer of, of the, the Lotus the, yeah. and the man yeah. who bought us the compact frame set. Yeah. If you'd have been allowed from that day to get to where we are now, mm-hmm. Do you think they how would look different much would different? Bike, yeah, they are different. Do you think they, they would? look hugely different? Because even the 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 brands that were considered traditional of the era, mm. Conargo, for instance, they made some pretty radical looking time trial bikes at the same time. Because, Pinarello, did, didn't every, they? Pinarello, yeah. yeah. You know, Pinarello made some crazy bikes looking bikes. Yeah, exactly. Everybody was doing it. You know, mm. I've I've seen um, Bianchi's time trial bike that they made for Pantani, where. The handlebars are welded onto the fork crown. Mm. So there is no stem. There's nothing there. All the steering is below the head tube. So he would basically, in such a low position, his chin would be sitting on the top of the headset. Mm. And it's insane to look at. but Probably horrible to ride. Probably horrible to ride. <laughs> but imagine how aerodynamic it was. Yeah. It was almost a recumbent, you know, well, a prone recumbent. So you're, you're looking forward. Mate, is that the future? I hope not. We've got a bike around <laughs> common to things. <laughs> we do, and, and, and each to their own. But I mean, we—that's we, probably another yeah. tech talk. But then, know? but that's but. the thing. If you look at if you look at like our records for a recumbent mm. versus a, a traditional bike, the gap is massive. They're massive. They're very fast. They're why, why are we not riding? Fast. Why are we not riding recumbents? <laughs> I think for racing, is a, there's a, you know, yeah. it'd be quite interesting to see a see a do tour, they climb see a as tour. Well? They no, climb as well, uh, well tour, I think recumbent aficionados will tell you they do. Yeah, but yeah. From personal experience, which is very minimal, but I have ridden a few of them. I, I, the, the climbing felt so alien because you're effectively yeah. pushing your legs yeah, forward yeah. and dragging your your weight and all the way up. And actually, uh, <laughs> so recum- it, feel, it feels odd. Recumbent aficionados. We've just we've mentioned Mike Burroughs. He would be the man to get yes, in for that. Exactly, so we yeah, could do that as yeah. he's now a, a, yeah. a recumbent. But it's if you look at but... if you look at speed and distance <clears throat> records, uh, recumbent versus a normal bike. The, there's a gulf, a huge gulf. But we don't think recumbents necessarily I, I, are going to be the, no, the future. I, no, I if we go back to the think... standard road bike, and we've we know with the UCI aren't going anywhere. Mm. So road bikes, we're not, and you know, a big brand is not going to suddenly come up with something completely radical, hope style, mm. and and hope probably aren't going to build us a road bike that looks like the HP. Uh, they're talking about they're talking about a, a, a TT bike version of it, that certainly. That would be good, wouldn't it? But TT bikes, again, quite specialised. So for the general public, people going out on club runs, going out with their mates, uh, just riding to work. I mean, Unlike to see anything you know, particularly radical it, 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 or much better. Yeah, well, this is, I mean, a, the, the simple thing is that right now, if you look at the top-level bike from all the big manufacturers, if you look at an S-Works Tarmac, an S-Works Venge, an S-Works Roubaix, even. Um, that's all the big bikes from one manufacturer. No, but then I would say, you know, Cannondale with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the high mods in yep. the System 6 and the Super 6 and, and, the and even the Synapse. Yeah. The, the, the Project One Trek mm-hmm. SLRs, Damani, Madone, Giant with the TCR Advanced mm. Pro Zero or Advanced SL Pro Zero or whatever. Everybody's top tier bike that you can go now into a store in town, buy, 
is better than what guys will be riding in the tour. Because of the restrictions on the UCI, mm. you can buy a bike that's dynamically better, it's lighter, it's much more high performance yeah. than the heroes you look up to can ride. Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? That is a bit strange. Mm. Yeah, it's like going into a, into a, uh, a car showroom and buying a car that's better than Lewis Hamilton's uh, Mercedes. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. My, I don't think it happens. You know, I'm not sure that it happens in any other sport. No. No, you, uh, you can't buy. Can you buy better football boots than um, Cristiano Ronaldo? I don't so. bet you can't because they'd be bespoke, won't they? But so, so basically, bikes, uh, particularly those expensive bikes, they are, for want of a better word, bloody brilliant. And you can't see them. You, you can't really think of how you, other than electronic group sets getting lighter, disc brakes getting lighter, lighter components, more aero components. Well, that's to say, but, it is those, those techno- technological innovations that, that drove things on. So, you, you, you know, we have to thank brands like Shimano for mm. their innovations in drivetrains and more recently SRAM for their wireless systems. Yeah. We have to thank brands like Head Wheels, Zip Wheels, mm. you know, that they brought a, a, a much more engineering-based thought process to, to making components, making things, mm. you know. The aero wheel kind of influenced the aero bike. You know, Zip in their early days were making bikes that looked like the latest yep. bike and they were making these real, mm. you know, they were really furring this new way of doing mm. things um it's something that's far more prevalent in mountain biking because mountain bikes are so much less restricted yeah. and racing today is not the be all and end all of, mm. of buying a mountain bike you mm. want a bike that can perform and and so it, it's diversified it's <laughs> changed and and you're you're seeing radical shifts in in especially suspension design yeah and everything and and it's constant whereas the the restrictions on racing in in road cycling and have, have hampered that real thinking outside the box. But when you do get a big innovation, so like aerodynamics, say like um, disc brakes, disc brakes is the, is, the, mm. is the one big thing that has changed road cycling, I believe, for the better. Yeah. Because it's freed up designers within a very tight constraints. It's freed them up. What's interesting there, though, is that you were saying that mountain biking, because it, the racing side of it is not necessarily the be all and end all and and this is the thing that i i find strange is that again most of us don't race road bikes so the consumer we're the consumer we could say look we don't care about the 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 fact that a, a, oh, yeah, yeah, a bunch yeah, of people yeah. can race those at the tour but i think you've seen Let's, it i think we've seen it because we've seen it we've seen it in in the last few years when this brakes came in mm. and you had pro after pro coming out oh they're dangerous all the thing you yeah. don't need you know I've had it said to me by professional cyclists, well, they're fine for you, mm. but we're good enough that we don't need disc brakes. But then the consumers... We're better. Do you remember, Tom, when when uh, when but, disc brakes came out on road bikes, the, it was quite a lot of consumers were saying, oh, I don't need those. That was yeah, so... because the, the, the road <clears throat> consumer is more traditional and more yeah. than, than but, the mountain bike yeah, yeah, but then, you know, I, I always think of that kind of disc versus rim debate, especially from the rim side of thing. It was a really vocal minority. Because you only have to look at bike sales since this bridge came in. They have just grown and grown and grown. And to the point now that you're seeing the bigger brands are making less and less rim bikes. And then oh. if they weren't, if they couldn't sell a disc bike, they won't make them. I would say that that, that conservatism that we've, you know, we are talking about in the roads and saying, oh, you know, yeah, the, the, road, the consumer didn't want that. It is seen in mountain biking, actually. Because, you you know, you see with the introduction of 29-inch wheels, you still mm-hmm. get people now, 10 years on, still saying, oh, yeah, I wouldn't ride a 29. Oh, they're, they're crap. And it's like, 
No, they're not. It was the same discussion when disc brakes did come, actually. In my I mind. mean, I, yeah, I can remember. Suspension yeah. forks, you know, mm. there's all these things. And, and, and actually, it's... It's it's cyclists. It's right, people who ride bikes, they're just conservative. Oh, don't get me not started on people who ride bikes. <laughs> we just, just don't like change. I think there's a, there's a, there is an element of that. You know, it's like, um, if you look at... Uh, going back to the mountain bike thing, mm. you know, I... I, I was in and around mountain biking at exact that time when the dis, when disparate started to appear mm. and everything. And the main consensus, is, even in the media, was we don't need them. Not motorbikes. Mm. We're not riding yeah. motocross bikes. We don't need them. And then you just use them and go. Actually, that's quite good, isn't it? This is good, isn't yeah. it? You know, this the same. I mean, you see it with e-bikes now as well. Like you know, it's always that. Oh, we're not mountain, we're not motorbikes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but it makes it. It's you know. I mean, is that is that the future? You know, is that how road bikes get better? I think actually they the, have motors in One them. thing we haven't touched on, actually, I think with road bikes in, in where they could get better, maybe within the rules of UCI suspension, because it's we've we talked about it in another podcast, but maybe that is the next big performance right. gain that we will see. If that gets bikes. better, yeah. it gets more. I mean, you know, you do see, it used to be a big thing at, at the world's biggest bike show, at Eurobike, mm-hmm. where when the halls were loaded with the biggest, most innovative brands in the world, they would all come with concepts yeah. that ignored the mm. UCI that did that. And some of those bikes, even now, a decade on and everything, you just think, oh, that'd be great. You know, um, yeah. I can remember Specialized having a um, an aero road bike that basically the flick of the switch would switch from being a time trial bike into basically a Roubaix. Right. So it would literally alter its geometry all within mm. the same system on two kind of almost rotating discs and it would just So change. it was like a transformer. It was like a transformer. Cool. Cannondale went to the trouble of actually making a fully formed, you know, mock-up of one that mm. did very much a similar thing. Yeah. And you just look at it and oh, that's brilliant. You know, and the design of that era of Cannondale is still in the industry, is now doing really innovative things at BMC. Mm. And you look at those things and think, if only it's, it's, the freedom had been there to yeah. actually... <clears throat> investigate down these paths. It's you not like motor shows, is it? You don't go, if you go to a motor show and mm. you see a concept car, you know in two or three years that they head up display and the... Um, yeah, you see, well, no, I think you see elements of, of concept cars coming to cars, but you never really see like the real futuristic mm. looking ones. No, And I think, you know... You do you, see... Because there's conservatism in, because, in, in car design as yeah, well. Yeah, because you can't make, a, you know, a risk on on quite a big investment mm. into into a market that's probably not ready or willing oh, what to... What about that Tesla thing? pickup truck? I mean... That's, I, mean, that's, I want to see a I mean, Tesla Elon pickup truck bike. Damn brave man for, for doing that. Yeah. That's a whole new podcast and probably not one we will do. <laughs> Is that, I can't even remember what it's called. Is that truck weird? Would you buy one? <laughs> I mean, so we've talked about, you know, what about, could you almost go go backwards? Like, so the innovation, we've, we've if we're looking at frames, the innovation's all been done in carbon. What about going back to steel, aluminium, titanium? Well, there's a and lot of... Just, Bringing that, There's bringing a, those a lot back of great and... aluminium bikes. You know, we, mm. we did a thing, you know, when we look back at 2019 and look forward to 2020 on on, on bike radar, you know, Matthew Loveridge is mm. big fan of, you know, understanding of, of aloe bikes because, you know, and they're racing them in, in the, you know, the season opening races down in Australia, mm-hmm. you know, in some of the crits, the Ali Elite or whatever yeah. it is, you know, like aluminium bikes are still actually totally relevant. Still really good, but could they, you know, could that be somewhere where brands could go back and, develop that even further i mean they've got a long way yeah but. i think you are seeing 
you know, some of the brands that are, that are more steeped in aluminium are still doing some development on it. Mm. You know, Trek are doing some really nice things with the ALRs. Specialized are doing some great things with the with the LA Sprint and um, and of course Calendar with the CAD. You know, mm. it's not CAD. it's only a couple of years ago that the CAD twelve was mm. you know our bike of the year. That's you true. know, because that frame felt amazing. And the new CAD thirteen, which effectively at first glance looks pretty much identical to the new Evo, that's an astonishingly good bike. You know, and so yeah, I mean, aluminium got cut off. In its heyday, it got mm. off in its prime because this new, you know, black wonder material came mm. out and everybody rushed towards that. Just as I think, you know, um, nobody really took titanium much yeah. much further than making nice fancy polished tubes and welding them together. You know, there was a lot more to be done there. But carbon just became all-consuming. Mm. I think because it was a completely new way of manufacturing, it took a huge amount of investment and a mm. huge amount of R&D to actually become really competent at it. And so those traditional welding together some bits of metal, it really fell by the wayside. Mm. But it's only now that, that you're you're seeing that some of those brands have gone back and they're sort of going, well, what can we do with this? Well, and from a sustainability point of view, hey, you know, I mean, there, there's there's a lot to be said for that. There is a lot there? to be said um, for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, so that that's that's one aspect. But if, if so, it sounds like you're still excited about road bikes, even though you're saying, I mm. think they've reached a peak. They're, they're still going to be good. So, But you also sounds like you're saying, if you bought one now, you could hold on to it for five, six years and not a lot will change. I think so. I think so. You know, it's that it's a good time to buy a bike because it's not going to be superseded by a new standard or, or new thing mm. in the Im- imminent future. You know, because right. we, we've seen that big leap, that big generational leap mm. with disc brakes. Bolt with, through. With, you know, with through axles and, um, and the freedom that's given designers. And I think we're probably at kind of, for a road bike, at least, not for not for gravel or anything else, but on road bikes, I think we're kind of at peak tyre size as well. I don't think anybody's going to go beyond, you know, Trek's Damani with its 32C tyres. I don't think anybody's going to go, actually, why don't we use 40s? Or Well, we won't see more road bikes, well, sort of 650B or whatever. No, whatever I don't think so, because it's or... 650B has the advantages off-road, but on-road, a 700C wheel is always going to mm. be. So what's, what's like your, what would your fantasy, Tom, your fantasy future road bike look like or have on it, or how would you know? Uh, I think it'd be wireless, because mm-hmm. adding cables or even DI2 cable guides yeah. is, uh, is is always going to make some sort of compromise on there. I think... Um, Active suspension? I don't even know maybe, what that um, is. Maybe not even like, like I'm not, I don't even think you need full hydraulic mountain bike-esque suspension, mm-hmm. but I think good vibration damping just to boost um, comfort i think maybe a long way down the line you know we're seeing with you know the hope track bike for example and some of the um components going on to the australian national track bikes you mm-hmm. know we're talking 3d printed titanium stuff so maybe we go down the more customization route so you know you get things that are built much more bespoke without the costs of a of a custom carbon frame i still think carbon you know if it was my dream bike it would, it would be a carbon road bike it would be aero um, maybe not quite as crazy as say the Diamondback sort of TT bikes and that sort of thing, but but it would look different to a road bike, would it? It'd no, I, I don't. Of... I actually think that that double design look is is too classic for it me. It's a lovely actually, thing to look at. You know, isn't it? Yeah. I, it, they look yeah. good. They do. They you do. Know? And if we're talking about being conservative consumers, damn, you know, like what looks better than those? I can't. I've not seen There's a not bike that looks there, better really. than that. No, no. And was how about you? I I sort of agree. I pretty much agree. But I would like to see. You know, I spent you know decades doing this job and talking to designers and talking to extremely capable engineers and and the kind of you know guys with a real kind of visual idea of where they would like 
things to go. I'd like to see some of that freedom being allowed. Mm. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate into the sort of bike I want to be riding because I agree, like the, the twin triangle design, I think it's really, you know, it's, it's beautiful. You know, one, still one of my favourite bikes that I own is a, is a Pali Z0, which is traditional round tubes, two triangles, mm. rim brake even, super light, beautiful thing, only goes out on the best days though. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the bikes I was most excited about riding last year was I did a, a head-to-head with um, a modern aero Villiers versus the Villiers steel bike with chrome looks. And and, and you just, I just, you know, you just look at it and go, that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's fabulous. It's the sort of bike Mm. you ride, but you wouldn't put it in your garage when you got home. You take it in and you'd hang it above your mantelpiece Mm. because it's that pretty. Mm. And, and it, there's a joy in the inherent, yeah. inherent beauty of the traditional bicycle. But I would really love, especially in racing, to see where they could go, how far they could push yeah. it. You know, it's the difference between looking at... Gloves off, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah gloves off. It's the difference between looking at, say, Ferrari's F1 car mm-hmm. to a road-going Ferrari. The road-going Ferrari is arguably more beautiful, but you know that that F1 car is just a pure weapon for going yeah. fast. Now... Why shouldn't the most talented athletes in our sport be given that kind mm. of unrestricted race bike series? Yeah. Uh, it would be amazing cool. to see. It would be amazing to see the speeds that some of the best sprinters mm. in the world could achieve if the bike would, could be as optimised as it possibly could for making them go fast. As long as it wasn't a recumbent. <laughs> well, a recumbent in a sprint would be it would be chaos because you can't see where you're going. Yeah. So there, nobody would ever win a sprint because it would just be a, it'd be a field-wide crash. I'm waiting for the co- <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll check the comments out after this one. I do you know what? That sounds like a really good place to finish it. A good uh, a good conversation. Thank you very much, Warren. Thank you, and thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. What do you think? You know, have we reached peak road bike or? Is there still lots of development to come? And what would you like to see? Do let us know wherever you can comment. If you like this podcast, you know, tell your friends, tell your family, pirate plane, fly across a football stadium saying, listen to the Bike Radar podcast. And uh, of course, do subscribe. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.